0: You are listening to Friends of Europe's podcast. Don't miss our debates on global and European issues that span political, economic, social and environmental challenges and follow our website at friendsofeurope.org.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Welcome to what I think is a very special Friends of Europe occasion. My name is Giles Merritt, I'm the chairman of Friends of Europe and I i have a sort of sinecure, a, a job without much to do first of all to introduce His Royal Highness Prince Al-Hassan Al-Talal who I think is a man who not only needs no introduction but when I came in I f- following him I, I found he was shaking hands with so many people in the audience so it's, it's uh, clear that he He's a man who, I think, his his reputation over the years as one of the great thinkers and humanitarians, not just in his own neck of the woods, Jordan and the eastern Mediterranean, but I think around the world, <clears throat> I think everybody knows, he's worked very closely with a whole lot of major organisations notably the united nations on resource issues but also international crisis group and so on and today he's going to he's going to be in conversation with Shad islam who everybody in brussels knows as as first of all the the boss of Friends of Europe's development, as well as Asia side. But also as somebody who, I think, uh, is well known for asking shrewd questions. So I'm going to be listening very attentively to, to what she has to ask Princess Hassan. After their conversation, I'm going to throw it open to uh, to comments and questions from the audience. Um, and we'll see how long um, uh, Shada keeps the conversation and at what point I start to sort of detect that there are um, reactions coming from the floor. Before passing to Shada, I just want to say one thing. We are going to be talking today, as it says in the programme, about the refugee crisis The issue that... I'm currently trying to put together a book on this, so I have a very deep personal interest. The issue we don't talk about nearly enough is ageing, shrinking Europe's need for more people and young people and how we're going to, to bridge cultural and religious divides and gaps here in Europe. And it seems to me that one of the problems we have in Europe is the extent to which we talk about the refugee crisis, we see it as other people's crisis that is coming our way, that we resist. We don't see it nearly enough as the opportunity that we need to keep Europe's economy and society buoyant. I hope that we can touch on some of these issues during the course of the hour that we have. Shada, the floor is yours.
0: Thank you very much. Uh, Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you, Giles, for those kind words. Your Royal Highness, an honour to have this conversation with you. We're delighted, at Friends of Europe, to have you here. First of all, as some rules of the game, I hope all of you have picked... Up our fact sheet drawn up by my colleague Amanda Rowe, and you'll see this puts things in context about the refugee uh, quote unquote crisis that we face today. Uh, The rules of the game, also, Giles, you set them out. I'm going to ask His Royal Highness some questions, uh, and then we will very rapidly throw the floor open to you, your comments and questions. So please do keep thinking and put your. uh, Brain hats on. Um, Royal Highness, I'm going to first ask you a question about our situation here in Europe. Um, the refugee crisis, quote unquote, has become a very political issue, as you know. We've seen populist far right uh, rising and uh, talking about refugees in very derogatory terms. The general public has been quite compassionate and welcoming, but the tide seems to be turning as well. And there is suspicion uh, about refugees and asylum seekers, migrants, uh, if you like. Now, Jordan, uh, as you will see from our fact sheet, has received millions of refugees, Palestinians, and now, of course, Syrians as well. From your perspective, Your Royal Highness, what could we in Europe be doing better
2: I would like to address the uh, subject of uh, European concern for uh, the overwhelming reality of what I would like to describe as T.I.M., quoting Professor Luther Brock at the Migration Forum in The Hague, territoriality, identity, and migration, by saying that you have an ongoing situation in terms of Eastern Europe ...of a uh, conflict leading to uh, movement of population, that is to say, in your Eurasian context, from from Helsinki all the way down to uh, the Black Sea. Uh, Croatia is talking about the development of a three-sea initiative, which includes the Adriatic, the Mediterranean and the Black Sea. So I just wanted, just as an outset, to draw your attention to the East to the Eastern Mediterranean, and to the Levant. Uh, As far as being on your front door, so to speak, Turkey, Lebanon, and Jordan are hosting 4.7 million refugees, of whom 1.4 million refugees are from Syria in Jordan today. So a quarter of our population are refugees. That is to say, if you would like to add... The uh, reference in the McKinsey report to the overhang of Palestinian refugees, 2.8 million refugees in Jordan before the Syria crisis. And, of course, in Palestine, they are not nationals of Palestine because there is no state in Palestine yet. There are already 2 million refugees. So before I say good morning or good afternoon to you, I'd like to remind you that we are looking at 4.8 million refugees over and above the 1.4. What can Europe do? There was a wonderful meeting, bilateral meeting, uh, in London called the London Compact, in which the subject was addressed of how do we respond to Jordan's resilience initiative, which basically amounts to identifying who these refugees are and what they want to do. Of course, the foreign embassies identified them far more quickly than the Jordanian government did because the allure of uh, traveling to New Zealand or Switzerland or Sweden or beyond uh, was much stronger than actually being involved in Jordanian industry. That's one reason. The second reason was basically that in terms of the uh, population whom we neighbor, we're talking about the farming population in the south south of Syria. So how can you take Syrian farmers and introduce them into an industrial zone which is looking at uh, textile to high tech? Uh, Today we have not had a single example of uh, an investment in an industry in the context of Syrian refugees, and the agreement was 15% of these uh, 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 industries uh, should be Syrians. uh, And when we arrive at the figure of 200,000 Syrians, then we will be recognized as having built a template. The fact is that in terms of uh, Jordan, we had hoped that investment would be in different parts of Jordan. Uh, There is uh, uh, the suggestion being made that after the Incirlik controversy between German parliamentarians being allowed to enter Incirlik in Turkey or not, that possibly a new location might be chosen, Cyprus or Jordan. My hope is that Jordan would be considered seriously because the uh, eastern panhandle of Jordan, if you remember, we look like a pan, the handle is the northeastern part, which goes to the uh, Iraqi-Syrian-Saudi border. Uh, could be developed. We're 91,000 square kilometers of Jordan, but the fact is that urbanization of Amman has uh, uh, developed at such a rate with urban refugees um, and uh, uh, national refugees moving into uh, uh, the capital that it is very difficult to talk about 10 or 20 years. We're told 17 years is the average life expectancy of a refugee. So my answer in a roundabout way is to say to you, not only for you is it a political uh, problem in uh, terms of... uh, Uh, Mrs. Merkel welcoming the refugees with open arms and then uh, taking a very correct uh, stabilizing action in terms of saying we will uh, jointly vet these refugees in terms of their their capabilities. Uh, uh, But at the same time, I think what should be done is to develop a task force which can think jointly in partnership as to the what-if politics moves to policy. So if it's going to be 10 years or 17 years, we can't continue beggaring the issue on a hand-to-mouth basis. 38% of the refugees of the world are now more or less in our Levant region.
0: So the disconnect between policy, politics and what's actually being done, uh, Royal Highness, thank you for pointing that out. And also that investments perhaps are not going in the right direction. Uh, A recent report, I think actually just today by Refugees International, talks about how the EU is disregarding human rights and international law in its desperation to slow refugee boat crossings across the Mediterranean Sea. Does that worry you as well? that human rights are being disregarded on this very, very important humanitarian issue?
2: I was very interested to see that um, it was an open-door policy when um, European navies and uh, armies and air forces were um, involved, engaged in Libya. Uh, Today, when the subject of boats capsizing in the Mediterranean Sea, international law tells us that only the Libyan navy... In a country with uh, no central government, with no armed forces, only the Libyan Navy is allowed to rescue these people. And these people, of course, are uh, mercilessly exploited by the um, uh, people smugglers. So I, I, I do want to say that in terms of a regional security perspective, security has to be humanized. And uh, the greatest good of the greatest number in terms of regional commons means that we have to take TIM seriously both at sea and in terms of the North African littoral and the Eastern Mediterranean.
0: So one of the things, uh, Royal Highness, that also worries us are constant reports of children, unaccompanied children refugees. Uh, hundreds of thousands in, uh, in Jordan but also in camps here in Europe, in Calais as well, still uh, many refugees. What what is Jordan doing about the children, these unaccompanied children, that are such a burden on on our consciences, really?
2: Not only are they unaccompanied, but 80% of the um, largest refugee camp in Jordan, Zaatari camp, are children. Uh, In addition to which, um, I want to add that with the CTE, counter-terrorist and CVE, counter-violent extremism programs, which have been budgeted by USAID or DFED, for example, the emphasis is on uh, hard security rather than on soft security. So when you talk about mental health, for example, our national mental health program was updated to 2010. But we are aware of the fact that post-traumatic stress disorder is a common denominator between suffering children from Yemen to Somalia uh, to our Levant region and beyond. Uh, Secondly, when we talk about food, stunting is caused by uh, malnutrition. And working with the World Food Programme, I have learned that lipid foods are required, that is to say, encouraging local industry to develop lipid foods, which could help at least in uh, addressing the subject of uh, uh, stunting by giving nutritious food to young people. As far as education is concerned, were it not for UNICEF and 300 schools, the Makani schools all over Jordan, we would not have a compensation for the overworked Ministry of Education in a second-shift system. And there we are uh, uh, educating not only Jordanians, but Palestinians, Iraqis, Syrians, there is no discrimination. But what do you do when the situation is such that you now have 49 nationalities of refugees? The people who come back through Suez, not able to cross the Mediterranean, clamoring to cross into Israel or points east, all are effectively prone to exploitation. So body part smuggling, um, abuse of children, all of these issues are part and parcel of the difficulty of claiming even to manage the crisis in terms of what we hope will not be a lost generation.
1: Your Royal Highness, I know that on this trip you've um, been talking to a number of EU leaders in the institutions. I know also that you have very immediate and privileged access to a lot of national leaders around Europe. My question is this, looking beyond the immediate drama of the refugee crisis, looking ahead say 10 15 20 years how do you see this this situation intolerable situation in your own country and very politically dangerous situation in large parts of uh, the european neighbourhood how do you see it all developing
2: there are a number of elephants in the room if one can talk about elephants in plural One of them was very clearly the resolution of 35 countries with the participation of uh, President Trump in a conversation in Riyadh, which sounded to me more than a monologue, uh, a monologue about the need for dialogue. At least that's how I understood (laughs) it. And uh, we noticed with great interest that uh, Iran and Syria were excluded from this conversation which I find somewhat alarming because uh, we're basically changing uh, the um, objective of defining an external enemy to speak about Iran as though the fitna, the uh, uh, division between Muslims, Sunni, and Shia is going to be turned into a fissure, a crevasse, and, and we are all supposed to accept that i just like to say in terms of uh, uh, politics, uh, a, f- a few months ago I was asked by an American, gee, Iraq is sunny and Shia. Are you a sunny Muslim? I said, no, I'm a very cloudy Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm becoming cloudier and cloudier when I recognize the uh, fact that in terms of Shia, They are a significant population in Iraq, Arab Shia, in Bahrain, Arab Shia, in Saudi Arabia, Arab Shia, in Yemen, Arab Shia. So I don't know who benefits, other than the war machine and the war industry, from inviting future conflict. And I come to the conclusion that in terms of stabilization of our region, stabilization of the Levant, war is cheaper, more economical to some, than waging peace, and this I find is a great uh, tragedy. As far as climate change is concerned, I was on the telephone with people from the World Bank yesterday. I get the impression that the Climate Change Fund uh, might be looking at our immediate region. As you know, we are divided between the desert and the zone, as it was known to Gertrude Bell Today, we're divided between the hydrocarbons and the carbohydrates. (laughs) So my question is, how can we develop intra-independence unless we respect each other and on that basis develop regional commons? One of those regional commons, as we address the subject of refugees once again, is food and nutrition. Um, Dubai represents a hub now, which has been rather uh, tested uh, to the limits in terms of supporting the situation in Yemen. Can we consider that the Red Sea situation, not least of all Somalia, is facing famine? And I, I would like to emphasize the importance of human dignity in terms of the equation, it's not sustainability and development with a centerpiece of a correlation whereby triumphalist investment is important. The investment, if it is to come, should be into capital, yes, but human capital, human dignity. And in that way, we defy the uh, facile theory that Security is weapons of mass destruction, what the experts call basic security alone. Uh, the war on terror, what the experts call current security alone. But move also to the question of changing the realities on the ground by investing in human peop- uh, beings who should be the friends of the projection uh, over the uh, coming years. Uh, through the creation, as I am trying to promote in uh, this uh, short visit with um, the leading luminaries that I have met in the uh, EU, uh, trying to promote a process. Helsinki process was based largely on Helsinki Citizens' Assembly. Can we consider the creation of a Middle East Citizens' Assembly?
1: Your Highness bef b- before we started this conversation Charter and i put our heads together and looking at the at the participation list we decided that there are so many experts here that we we must avoid monopolizing Prince Hassan. so i'd like to get an idea of how many people at this point would like to come in with a comment i can see one hand there let's let's start with you let's have a microphone here if we may
0: So the microphones are in the armrest. Uh, You have to open the armrest. And there you are. So please, for everyone else as well, in the armrest.
1: And perhaps stand up and introduce yourself so we know where the question is coming from.
0: Yes, hello. Hello, can you hear me?
1: I think you're in business.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm I'm Valentina Pop with the Wall Street Journal. And I was wondering uh, how these... um, Compacts that the European Union had offered to several countries including Jordan um, these special or updated partnerships on migration uh, well, how how have how is it working on the ground and um, part of it was also talk about a DCFTA with Jordan it has a, a deep and comprehensive free trade agreement um, has any work on that started yet thank you
2: I think I um, commented on the first part of your question in my remarks and in that context I just want to say that the compact as it relates to Jordan was particular to the Jordanian initiative. I mean I'm coming here to talk to you about Jordanian thinking. So the concept of the resilience plan came out of Jordan and the resilience plan was streamed into uh, eight different um, uh, priorities in terms of Uh, identifying the productive capacity of the uh, population by developing, for example, what we've just discussed in the EU, the creation of a regional, possibly let's call it national from the beginning, knowledge base. In terms of demography, I'd like to remind you and remind myself that when Bradford Morse was the then head of UNDP, we met in Rio in uh, a conference entitled... Uh, transfer of technology to developing countries. In those days, we spoke about data for the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Now we speak about informatics, and and beyond that, to knowledge. I would like to suggest that the compact should look into leapfrogging in terms of qualifications of young, skilled people to enter Industry 4, Even those who talk about digital are talking about the past of uh, at least 10 years ago, bridging the digital divide. So we are basically um, blind if we do not deepen our knowledge. I'd love to see the Wall Street Journal calling for cephalogy, P-S-E-P-H-O-L-O-G-Y. The knowledge of the people turning the figures into citizens, building citizenship. One of the basic problems of the compact is that it is bilateral, what I call binary pathology. Doing things the difficult way in one-on-one. But nobody is talking about uh, trans-border investment. And in that sense, we are already providing nutritious uh, food supplies on a daily basis to our neighboring populations in southern Syria. So once again, I want to ask myself the question, in your presence, when can we talk about the consequences of the Syria crisis in terms of uh, the World Bank, possibly, and others taking the lead in the creation of institutions? Every war in the world has created institutions, including Bretton Woods and Dumbarton Oaks. We have no institutions in our region, no economic and social council, no bank no zakat fund. Why can't we say to the Muslims, you are so keen on your Muslim identity, why don't you develop institutions? My name was once floated as a possible high commissioner for refugees. I think the reason why I never got there, not that I tried particularly hard, because when you're a prince, you already are handicapped. <laughs> you know, But uh, was uh, I would have stood up and said to the Muslim world, 80% of the world's refugees are Muslim. What are you doing about it? So what about a universal, accountable Zakat funds that looks at the wanderers, the refugees in all their different categories, instead of a compact that refers to High Commissioner for Refugees, IOM, International Organization of Migrants, IDPs, DPs, UNRWA, Palestinian refugees, each one in his own category? What about talking about the carrying capacity of the Levant? So I came here to promote uh, ideas, and I would like to um, say that in terms of the DCFT, a thank you very much. You know, I'm always coping, trying to cope with alphabet soup: partnership for peace (PFP), PFM, partnership for the Mediterranean, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It is under negotiation with a stringent stringent position taken by the EU. Uh, So, in terms of the DG Trade, no progress yet. So, is it business as usual, or is it uh, crisis mode? I think that the crisis has to be understood as a European crisis and not only a Jordanian crisis. If we care, we combine. Uh, the figures of refugees to our part of the world and the figures of refugees into European countries. Of course, we can um, wax poetic about uh, uh, the fact that we deserve our respective fates, but I would like to suggest that maybe at least alternatives should be sought, not uh, not least of all, an alternative on rules of origin. I remember when we started this whole exercise in 1977, we signed the Mashreq Agreement as Syria, Jordan, and Egypt. And I had to uh, petition eight parliaments, and then, I don't know, 15 parliaments, and so forth and so forth, about exporting tomatoes. And I, expo- I called our agreement tomato-centric. My Egyptian colleagues called it potato-centric. So the question is, do you want a stable Levant or not? And is the alternative, not the black economy of uh, crime, not to mention um, uh, politicized religion, the ideology of the sociopaths. Thank you.
1: Your Royal Highness, I'm going to sneak in a question because you've just mentioned stability, and then I'll come back to uh, opening the debate. Do you have a sense that in Europe in the european union countries and to some extent in the nato member countries too there is now a realization that the displacement of people in around the mediterranean is our security problem do, do you feel that that's what people have started to grasp and if so do you think they have a plan
2: I would like to be optimistic and to answer the first part of your question by saying, yes, I do feel that Europe recognizes that this is our security problem. But then, in the small hours of the morning, I recognize it is your security problem when there is a terrible incident that we all condemned in Manchester. However... When correspondingly, as I wrote in um, the press who were prepared to take my article, there is uh, a similar incident in uh, uh, Egypt at the monastery of uh, uh, St. Simon the Confessor where uh, Arab Copts are killed, it doesn't actually get the first uh, page uh, opinion. And so I'm really quite worried That uh, in reality, the horrors that are taking place every day, from Afghanistan to Libya, from Yemen to uh, uh, Syria, are um, somebody else's issue, somebody else's problem. Maybe they are a coalition problem, or they are a NATO problem. Nothing can be won by hard security alone, just leaving it to the soldiers. So I would like to suggest that we have to challenge in such conversations what good neighborhood policy means and correspondingly what the Russians mean when they talk about Eurasian policy. Are we talking about stabilizing a region from Helsinki to the Black Sea and then stabilizing a region in terms of the eastern Mediterranean? Let me remind you of new opportunities. There are 23,000 square kilometers of gas in the eastern Mediterranean today. Doesn't that mean that the Levant is developing clear indications that it could be relying on its own resources if these resources became regional commons? So uh, as um, crisis to crisis, humanitarian crisis uh, moves uh, the media and the social media to comment uh, in outrage, I would like to see a little bit more analysis a little bit more wisdom developing, and maybe that can be achieved by this EU initiative of creating a knowledge base in the region so that uh, knowledge becomes a two-way exercise and not simply a, um, a quotidien, daily uh, focus on headlines.
0: Uh, Roy Hannes, I, I have to say I'm very moved by what you've said because it runs so counter to the diatribes and the hate speech, let's be quite frank, that we hear, that we listen to, that we see on tweets. And I have to say that voices like yours, of wisdom, are so important to hear, especially in this town. So thank you for widening our perspectives and our horizons. Uh, I deeply appreciate it. The only person it. I
2: hate in this room is myself. <laughs> because, uh, you know, uh, uh, working, uh, pushing upstream is a very difficult task. So if, if we can only make each other a little less lonely by committing ourselves to some kind of a shared discourse, that I think is the greatest uh, gift that we can give each other. And remember, it's not about us in this room. It's about millions of people who are uh, facing a very uncertain future in different parts of the world.
0: So what we really need are more cloudy Muslims, as you called yourself.
2: <laughs> thank you. So long, so long as the clouds precipitate.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Let's let's get some more questions uh, from the from the floor. Mohammed, please. Uh, you know the press way of doing things. Yes, short and short and
3: snappy. Um, not more than ten minutes. Oh yes, in your dreams. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, my name is Mohammed Raja Barakat. I'm Euro Arab citizen. Uh, Your Your Royal Highness, uh, what's your secret in Jordan? Here in Europe we have 500 uh, million citizens and we have less than 1 million refugees and we consider it as a threat. What's about Jordan? What's your secret to, to, to face this crisis? Other question, you spoke about European crisis. Well, what about the moral responsibility of EU in what's happening now in Arab countries? They, promised, they encouraged Arabs to make a revolution, Arab Spring, and now uh, we have problems. And I feel that Euro- European Union uh, do not do anything for that. And in case of a new war between Sunnis and shias what are going to be the, co- the consequences for? First of all, Jordan, and also for EU member states countries. Thank you very much.
2: Well, in terms of the new world or the new order, I would like to remind you that I worked uh, and remind myself from 81 to 88 with the International Independent Commission for Humanitarian Issues. Uh, Every year, the Secretary General invited us to address the General Assembly on three topics – Man against man, war and its consequences, man against nature, deforestation uh, and man-made disasters from Chernobyl uh, to Fukushima in uh, modern times. So I would like to suggest that maybe this ethic of human solidarity that has been called for by most recently and significantly Pope Francis is a nexus issue. Because when we speak about aqua vitae, for example, water for life, and we hear His Holiness addressing TED Talks, we are actually breaking new ground in terms of what is a significant resource. In terms of, uh, what was your second question, uh, please?
0: The moral responsibility of the EU.
2: Uh, the moral responsibility of the EU. I'd just like to remind you, that the two so-called great wars were European wars, were they not? So if you ask in Israel what is the moral responsibility of the EU, you get a very clear answer. But, of course, Israel is a country the size of New Jersey. It is a country that is blessed with a Silicon Valley equivalent. It is a country that has all the options before it, you know, Once upon a time, Shimon Peres said to me, you know, we're surrounded by enemies. I said to him, you think uh, you have a problem? I'm surrounded by friends. (laughs) So when you are in that privileged situation, when you are a genuine superpower, when you can can clutch the hand of the the President of the United States States and uh, pledge yourself to a future of of, uh, bonding, you are, in a sense too powerful. And my question to Israeli academics who tell me, well, we are endowed with so many scholars and so such intellect. My question to them is, I don't question the intellect, but I question the intellectual generosity. Are you prepared to consider that your scholarship could be used in building what, Chaim once, what Weizmann and my great-uncle once discussed in Versailles in 1918, a pluralist Levant, Arabs of Jews of Arab culture, Christians of Arab culture, Muslims of Arab culture, or has the hostility which started in a European context, anti-Semitism, of the 20s, 30s and 40s and beyond made it impossible for us to develop a vision, a concept of a stable levant. This is the point that as far as the moral responsibility is concerned, it astounds me that Mrs. May, for example, speaks about the importance of celebrating the Balfour Declaration without remembering the context of the Balfour Declaration, not remembering that... People in Palestine are still under occupation. And uh, in terms of this issue, I would like to suggest that this year, more or less last year, next year, our Sykes-Picot, the Hussein McMahon correspondence, the Versailles conference. It may be double-dutch to some of you, if I can use that expression in Brussels. But uh, to us, it is like yesterday. You simply have to address the provenance of the problems in the region and then develop a moral responsibility. And so in this regard, uh, I think, yes, there is much more to be done uh, to change the so-called interfaith dialogue into a dialogue of values between those who believe or those who not believe, but at least to develop an association, what I call in Arabic hizb al-Fudul, Hilf al-Fudul, of the virtuous. We have enough virtual reality. Can we develop some virtuous reality? I would like to thank Pax Christy Holland. I'd like to thank people in need from Prague to Bratislava. I would like to thank Caritas, Care, the people who are actually on the ground dealing with the people in difficult times. These are the pioneers of maybe a European moral initiative uh, expedition of blue overalls, not only blue helmets, to keep the peace, to manage the crisis, but to resolve at least uh, in baby steps the crisis that is facing the people who are most vulnerable. And your first question was, what is our secret? Yes. Uh, well, our secret is subjective, because 1948, we had a war and refugees. In uh, for, for, for 56, there was a tripartite invasion of the Suez Canal Zone, which made Israel a nuclear power. And Anthony Notting left the British cabinet because he said, I cannot accept that a, 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 an eight-year-old country can be a nuclear power that will make peace with its neighbors. 1967, we entered in the most stupid catastrophe of our time. Of course, the Israelis get upset because how can we call a year in which they uh, regained Palestinian territories, whatever that means, a catastrophe. After all, this was the beginning of uh, the brave new world for, uh, for Israel. I don't want to sound... Uh, cynical or sarcastic but I do find it very difficult to talk to ideologues wherever they may be whether they're Islamicist or whether they're Judaicist or Christianicist. I remember in Ulster some years ago I received a, uh, an award from uh, a Jewish v- uh, chancellor vice-chancellor, Julia Neuberger in a non-denominational university and then they started talking to me about Islamist terror so I said, look, I'm in Ulster, guys Uh, Can I talk about Christianist terror? They said, no, terror is terror. So once again, uh, please forgive me for continuing. 73 war, uh, 81 war, Iraq and Iran, uh, 91 war, Iraq and Kuwait, 2000 and 2001, and so it continues. So our secret is, subjectively, we have been... Uh, accustomed to the new normal, that whenever we are just about to talk about GDP coming up to some kind of healthy rate of growth, we might have been actually a self-sustaining country in 1967, were it not for the 67 war. We have to be hit on the head. And the we is not only Jordan, Lebanon, the Palestinians, arguably some of the most educated people in the region.
0: I'm going to sneak in a question as well. You, uh, Your royal highness, you talked about the blue overalls, but if you look worldwide and even in Europe, the space for NGOs, non-governmental organisations, charities, uh, solidarity corps, etc., is actually shrinking. Does that worry you?
2: Well, I consider myself to be an NGO, a non-governmental organism. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's a wonderful opportunity to talk to power and also to receive the vibes of thousands of young people from all over the region. One of them said to me from Tunisia the other day, because I chaired the Arab Thought Forum, he said, I don't know anything about you, but I hear that you are clean. Uh. So I take that as a a recognition of something. Right. But but yes, it does uh, worry me that volunteerism as a whole is being confounded by isolationism.
0: Uh, you talked of young people, and, you know, we at Friends of Europe are working very hard with young leaders, whether they're Arab, North American, or European. So, you know, what you say really resonates with us. And there are young people in this room. And I would now like to get some questions from you. Because you're here, you're listening to His Royal Highness. He's made some very, very strong statements about the state of the world today. And this is the state of the world that should be worrying you as well. So if you don't I'll put your hand up, I'm actually going to... Uh, identify one of you and say, "Okay, what's your question at this time t- to His Royal Highness?" So you have a, okay. All right, the lady in there, right, right, sitting right in front of me. Yes, you. Yes, please. You too, in a second. So first, you in front. Yes, you've got the microphone. You can go ahead. Um, okay. The one who has it now. Go ahead, please. Um, well, I wasn't expecting to be called on, but I guess in general, um, what role do you see the youth playing in
1: this refugee crisis? Um, I guess to us, we've, it's been going on for a while, um, and it's hard to see an end to it. So I'm kind of wondering how you see the youth
0: playing a role. Right.
2: Yes. Um, direct answer in developing life skills. I, I don't know if you heard my answer in developing life skills for refugees. In talking to the refugees, I have recognized in sitting with various of the NGOs and new NGOs uh, the importance of what I call walking volcanoes. A young man who has a severe speech impediment is assisted by the uh, uh, psychosociotherapist to get over that speech impediment. When he starts speaking, he is so aware of himself that he explains to you that one of the reasons why he's angry is not only the speech impediment, but he's fed up with being an air conditioning engineer and he wants to uh, work in mobile telephones, which he's doing successfully now. The barrow boy who has a hernia, from pushing a hernia around and watching his brothers going to school, and he being the youngest, is the brightest who happens to be the brightest um, button in the family, has been deprived of the chance. Now he is in school and doing very well. The young lady who wants to uh, become a hairdresser and to- is told by the disapproving Islamicist, whatever they're called, a gentleman with long beards, that this is un-Islamic for whatever reason. You know, this is one thing about hijab and about uh, hairdressing and ladies' Appearance. I never thought that the Almighty was in the haute couture business. (laughs) You know, but um, anyway, I mean, I I go around saying outrageous things like that. There was a guy with a beard the other day, and he said it is better to die a martyr than it is to uh, die in your bed. I said, I assume you're speaking from experience. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I do want to say that were it not for these young, dedicated volunteers, we would not know the real story of what is happening to some of our refugee population. And the more partnerships they can create with uh, uh, friends abroad, the better it will be.
0: Mm. Thank you. Uh, your turn now. And please, uh, I want to see more hands going up, but I did say I would give you the floor. Uh, that's yes. why I
2: spoke, by the way, of very Middle quickly. East Citizens Assembly, if you recall in my introduction. Yes.
0: Very, very quick. And identify yourself, please. Um, yeah, it's on. It's on. Okay. Hi. Um, I'm basically. My- written by working in Brussels for years after. Uh, but I I maintain an interest in the refugee crisis, but particularly uncomfortable minors. so you um, you mentioned um, some of the diverse issues that face uncomfortable minors for example, uh with medical health, and PTSD, etc. Um, and I wanted to to have a bit more of an insight into the situation of unaccompanied minors in Jordan right. and um, what do you feel is the best so- solution that, yes. that could be offered yeah. before you answer sir I'm going to take a few more questions so there were the hands that went up right at the back the gentleman first and then the lady and then I'll come to you please stand up because we can't really see you we were
3: just looking for they're in the armrest and now we have a microphone Brandon, just use this mic. Hi. Right.
0: You have to push button.
3: Hi, my name is Brandon from uh, One. Uh, we're a development NGO. I wanted to ask a question, kind of following up on the the youth participation um, about education. Uh, you mentioned the second shift schools in Jordan, uh, which seems like a really innovative way to to increase school enrollment, especially for refugees. Um, but I mean, the the crisis in the region is is, is seems to stagnate. Uh, I think the last report I saw said about five hundred thousand. Uh, Refugee children in the region were still out of school in Jordan. You know, it's about 80,000. This is something that that they've been working on continuously year after year. And I think the last figures from from 2016 were that 3.6 million refugee children were out of education. So I just want to ask you, what do you think we need to do to to make progress on this and and really concretely bring those figures down?
0: Right. Thank you very much. Let's take the young lady there.
3: Hi, I'm Kate Jackson, representing the BIC. And I was just wondering, you were speaking about institutional size and lack of solutions, regional solutions uh, in the Middle East. And so do you think there's anything that perhaps some of the larger institutions in Europe uh, could do to help promote the development of more regional solutions and regional organizations forming?
0: Thank you very much. And the gentleman here in the second row, at the armrest and the button. Yeah. Yep.
3: Michael Villa. Can you? yes yeah. yes Michael villa um, founder of sustainable energy for the middle east um, uh, refugees means uh, uh, mining resources, uh, basic needs, uh, water, uh, energy, food resources. Um, uh, what do you think about the development of uh, uh, renewables technologies, energy efficiency that tackle uh, um, the energy, food, water nexus? There is, we think, a responsibility of the European Union to drive uh, these private investments uh, and uh, uh, try to establish also a regional energy cooperation on equal terms uh, also on the basis of these new technologies thank
0: you thank you very very good anyone else want to come in at this point last chance yes yes please Is there? okay okay i'll take you as well please uh, yeah thank you so much my name is Egle. i'm representing international rescue committee and behold uh, europe Um, Previously, before your insights, thank you so much, by the way, for them, it was mentioned that today's narrative is more about someone else's crisis, someone else's problem, rather than opportunity for Europe and our moral responsibility. So my question would be, how can we change that narrative um, and really help overcome populism, as that really significantly affects the policy, the public's opinion, and also political will? Thank you. And the final question from the lady at the back. Keep your hand up, please. Yeah. Hi, my name is Solva Hieronymus. I'm a partner at McKinsey. And I was very interested in the idea of the compacts on migration and the idea you had on knowledge uh, at, in the Levant area. Don't you think it's time for a compact on migration with the entire Levant area? And if so, how would you set it up? Okay, thank you very much, Royal Highness. A number of questions. So we had the unaccompanied minors the issue of uh, education, second shift schools, uh, water, energy, renewables, uh, regional solutions, uh, a new narrative, and the compact on migration for the Levant. Um,
2: I'd like to start by saying that we have 70,472 Syrian migrants male, that is to say, according to the Ministry of Education, uh, figures, and 8,830 female Uh, In terms of the report that I would like you both to read, at least those who asked me the question about education, please read the hard-hitting report of the RAND Corporation, recently published. I can't remember the title offhand. Maybe one of you can help me to remind me of the title, which uh, speaks very clearly to the issue that the Ministry of Education of Jordan is actually given high marks by RAND Corporation is wonderful, but they are overstretched. And what we need in terms of evaluation of the emergency education response for Syrian refugees, children, and host communities in Jordan for this sort of thing to be online so that you have a a direct reference point. I can't say much more in terms of uh, uh, the nexus that you referred to, uh, water children nexus, for example. When I was serving as advisor... Uh, to the Secretary-General on water and sanitation issues. One of the biggest issues is how close a latrine is to a a child's uh, home, particularly if their child is a female. And, uh, you know, when I say water and sanitation, people laugh. And I say, you'll be laughing on the other side of your face if, God forbid, uh, you have a waterborne disease. Today, of course... uh, in in terms of Yemen and Somalia, they are off the map. There is no human dignity. At least we are trying in the context of uh, uh, assimilation of uh, education programs to do what we can. But at the same time, what I would like to suggest to you, Gilles Merit, and uh, to you, Shada, and to Etienne d'Avignon, who I met before I joined you, again, we've known each other since the 1960s, I just want to say friends of Europe, please put together a composite group and come out and visit the situation on the ground, provided you make sure that I'm in the country. (laughs) Because I want to take you and show you that this is not just an intellectual hands-off conversation, it is actual realities that we're talking about, human beings. Uh, The question that came from this side was... Regional
0: solutions for problems?
2: Regional solutions and institutions. I want to ask you yes, the Visegrad four countries have a lot to offer us in terms of transitional democracy. Uh, so, the, secondly, uh, I'd like to point out that the concept of a regional development bank is rather ironically in one of the richest parts of the world and yet most deprived in terms of the absence of institutions. So the time has come to uh, remember that um, the initiatives I hope were taken by the international finance community, including the Asian bank and the uh, uh, Arab sovereign wealth funds. I've always laughed about sovereign wealth. It's a bit like military intelligence, a contradiction in terms. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm quoting uh, Groucho Marx. So I'm a a Marxist of the Groucho kind, (laughs) you know. Uh, It it is a a sadness that we are not developing these institutions at the right level. That is to say, if you look at the apex of our political government in the region and in the world maybe, there's very little oxygen getting in there. And the push is coming from the youth. The youth have to be recognized in terms of their views. We can't leave uh, politics to the iconic figures who, in terms of populism, seem to be profiting from their iconic status. And it is about status, isn't it? The egos have landed. So I think it's about time that we did something about I and I and I and started to talk about we, talking about uh, collegial efforts to address a common problem. I mean, here are these wonderful development goals and sustainable development goals, and they all talk about regional commons. And yet we can't even talk about, unless you listen to the governor of California, mercifully, who may be going to join Mr. Juncker and um, the Chinese leadership, we can't even talk about climate change without being careful to be not to be too politically incorrect. Hell's bells. I mean, when you look at Syria, wasn't Syria partly or largely because of the uh, absence of awareness of desertification? Isn't Pakistan, your home country, also suffering from lack of maintenance of the uh, irrigation system? When I was invited to Ladakh a couple of years ago, I was represented only to discover that the Himalayas is not just about the Tibet, it's about the water. The snow The snow is drying up. So I, I, I would like to suggest that uh, maybe in terms of imagination. Once I attended a meeting at the Sorbonne, I was the last day of a seven-day meeting, and I came together with uh, Boutros Boutros Ghali on the side of the French moderator at the time, and on the other side they had... Uh, um, um, uh, Mr. Jeremek, the late uh, foreign minister of Poland, and Elie Wiesel. So the moderator referred to Hassan and Boutros Botros, Peter Peter, as the two Muslims. <laughs> and to Jeremek on the other side and Elie Wiesel as the two Jews. <laughs> and, you know, again, territoriality, identity, and migration. Isn't it possible to see through the stereotypes and start speaking of identity in real terms. Anyway, can that become the new real, what is it, the new normal?
1: (laughs) Your Royal Highness, we've more or less reached the end of our time. I just want to close with one very short question. We are on the threshold, I think everybody in this room knows, of the migration season. Last year there was... A bit of a dip because of the Turkish deal. This year we see people coming and already drownings across the Mediterranean, people coming from Libya where there is in effect no government to do a deal with. My question is this, the trends are not good, the signs are not good, of there will be an outpouring of European sympathy of public opinion will remain firmly anti-immigrant in many ways. My question, do you see any signs of hope?
2: I I think it was Sigmund Freud who said, and I paraphrase, uh, that we all delight in contrast, us and them. It's all about fear of the other. That's pure Hassan, that's not Sigmund Freud. (laughs) You know, and as far as... uh, The future, the only sign of hope, is through getting to know the other. And in this context, maybe some of the, if good can come out of bad, the brutalities that have been uh, committed in the name of ideological extremism are at least encouraging us to begin to know something about the other. I'm glad that in the, the Foundation for Interreligious Dialogue in Geneva, we were able to graduate over 40 postdoctoral students. At the time, it was Cardinal Ratzinger, later the Pope. And we said to these students, we don't want you, whether you're believing or non believing, to do anything other than to make a study of the other. So I feel that what we have started to do in terms of building common ground, Terra Media, not Mediterra, terra but Terra Media, is to build that common ground on which at least when people turn to something other than the immediate security solution to the problem, that they might just might find people who are prepared to study why the other is behaving the way he or she is. Osnabrück University, at one time, when Rita Zussmuth presented her report to the German parliament, the only continental European university to study the reasons for out migration. Now there's a plethora of interest in different parts of the world. So uh, I think in Italian or in Latin they say, Veres est per causa Can we know knowledge without knowing the causes? I think that we are opening our minds, and that in itself is so important. Our greatest challenge is how to travel from here to here and back, and most significantly, and back. If we can make that journey, all of us together, then maybe, just maybe, it might not be too late for all of us. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Your Royal Highness. I think you have inspired us. You've woken up our imaginations and I hope our intelligence. And you've talked about inclusion in a way that I think will move all of us here. And I hope, and we see a lot of young people, and that always gives us hope at Friends of Europe when we see such diversity in our audiences. So thank you all for being here. And Your Royal Highness, thank you so much for inspiring us.